Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. Today is July 19th, 2021. And as we've been doing, let's start with just a brief moment of silence, followed by mantra. We know, O Lord of life and love, about the need. Touch our hearts anew with love, that we too may love and give. So the purpose of our work together each week is to introduce this planetary service of triangles to people who are new to it and to aid them in the forming of triangles and also to create a platform for those of us who are already members of triangles to come together each week and participate in a meditative visualization in the support and strengthening of the planetary network. So if you're new to this work, and this planetary service, we welcome you. And if you are interested after listening to some of the words that will be shared today, please enter your name in the chat box if you would like. And hopefully two other members uh, on the webinar will also agree to form a triangle with you. You can also go to the Triangles Meditation Group Facebook page and there you can also find people who are interested in forming triangles. You can go to the triangles.org website and there's a brief questionnaire that you can fill out to find triangles partners from throughout the world. So if you want to form a triangle, you certainly should be able to. And if you can't, just write to us and we can help you. So this work is a simple visualization technique. It's a daily practice using the power of thought and, thought and prayer to uplift and transform consciousness. And the daily work is distinct. Some people might think that it's this meditation that we do each day on this webinar each Monday. But in fact, it's a, simple, a simpler um, vitalization of this network of triangles by visualizing yourself linked up at a soul level with your two triangles partners. Perhaps you can visualize them as three points of light, three suns, and visualize the energy radiating, uniting you all at a soul level. And then you extend that radiance out to all of the other people throughout the world who are also members of triangles, and you link as one vast network of light. And at the close of this short and simple visualization, you sound the great invocation, which is a world prayer, which acts to transmit the energies of light and goodwill to people everywhere who have open hearts and minds. So it's a way of bringing lighted energy goodwill into the planet and it's open to all people um, you don't have to be a student of any ageless wisdom tradition you simply have to be someone who believes in the power of thought and so as we do most weeks after the 
meditation, we'll be hearing from Curtis Hoffman, who's a longtime um, collaborator of ours in the work of the Lucis Trust and its service activities and the Arcane School. And he has a lifetime affinity also with the Mineral Kingdom. And he's retired from a full-time teaching position as a professional archaeologist at Bridgewater State University in Massachusetts. And Curtis will be sharing with us today on the theme of planetary psychometry, a study in stone. So we really look forward to hearing from you, Curtis, in a few minutes. So now, as we always do, let's begin with a brief visualization. Let's work together, standing as a group, visualizing the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. And within that sphere, let's visualize a triangle composed of the three planetary centers. Shambhala, the planetary head center. The spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart. In humanity, the planetary throat center, the creative center. Visualize these energies circulating around the triangle and filling it with light. And now visualize appearing in the center of that triangle, a five-pointed star. This is the star of the world teacher, linking east and west, past and future, filling the triangle with light. At each point of the star, the sphere of his activity stands an outpost of his consciousness, the five planetary centers. Visualize the energies radiating forth from the center of that star through each of the points. London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, Tokyo. Visualize these outpouring energies, enlivening small groups gathering everywhere. 
aiding them to focus and direct the energies into the consciousness of all humanity, solving its problems, creating right human relations, restoring peace on earth. Let's build a bridge of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy and sound together the mantra. Radiance we are and power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. So we're working now at an important juncture in this year's planetary calendar, you might say. We're moving as we are towards the Leo full moon, which will occur here in New York on Thursday evening. So tomorrow will be the first day of preparation for that event. And this is an important opportunity this year. Um, Leo is always an important opportunity, but this year we have the added opportunity of having two Leo full moons, one occurring at this time at the very beginning of the sign, and the second occurring in the last um, <clears throat> moments of the sign. And so sometimes when we have a double opportunity like that, we might think, well, one of these festivals is the real uh, important one, but in effect, it's actually an opportunity wherein we can take advantage of both full moons. And so Leo is particularly important in our planetary life at this time, because as most of you know, we are entering into the Aquarian age. And this is a sign that governs group work. And so it's very much attuned to this full moon approach to hierarchy. But Leo comes into prominence as well during this coming age, and therefore at this time as we're entering into the, 
the morning, perhaps, of the Aquarian age, the sense of Leo being the opposite polarity to Aquarius. So the opposites, esoterically at least understood, are complements to one another, two parts of one whole. And in relationship to triangles work, we might help, it might help us to understand that the etheric body of our planet is therefore always governed by the opposite energy to this, this sign that is coming in. So now the etheric body of our planet is governed by Leo for this entire age. And surely this will aid humanity to achieve what's needed, which is an increasing mental polarization and ability to quell the turbulent astral waters. And for those who are on the path of seeking something higher in life, uh, Leo is a, is a potent sign for integration on a higher level, integration with the soul, integration eventually with the spiritual triad. So it leads or contributes to that initiatory energy that's uh, so strong at this time in our planetary life, as our Logos is certainly very conditioned by this energy himself. And so it's helpful to understand if we tip our toes into this vast subject of esoteric astrology, that Leo is perhaps one of the most important planets, one of the most important signs in what's called uh, the science of triangles. It's a section of this teaching that states that the, the great lives that um, flow into our system from distant sources often work and do so through the medium of triangles. And so if you study uh, the triangles that we are given by the Tibetan, it's, it's, it's impressive to see how many of those triangles contain the sign of Leo. So we can see that um, Leo becomes a potent means to fulfill the function of a triangle, which is essentially to bring in higher energies to help transmute them and transmit them into other forms of life that can step down those energies. So there's a lot of potency, that is to say, a lot of potency being um, channeled our way during this double influx of the sign of Leo during this next month. So we might say that one of the most important of these triangles is related to our planet's relationship with the great star Sirius and our sun. That's a really potent triangle that becomes stimulated during this entire time. And in this respect, we might say it's a great second ray triangle. Second ray being the ray of love wisdom. So Sirius is a star of great magnitude, one of the most important stars conditioning our entire system. And it is said to be a second ray star, the blue star, the star of sensitivity. And that star is so vast that it stands as the monadic point to our sun. 
So it's truly um, of an, an immense importance to our son. It's the higher, the highest self of our son. But then we're told, fortunately for our planet, that our planet, our little non-sacred planet, has an ancient karmic link to the great logos on Sirius. And so we're very fortunate um, to have that triangle which is coming into our midst during this time to bring in a wellspring of second ray energy of love wisdom pouring into our world. It confers sensitivity to all of us so we can attempt to open ourselves up to this inpouring energy and to use it in our daily lives and our daily spiritual practices to become more sensitive to the soul within ourselves and the soul within others. So I just wanted to close with a, a consideration of one of the interesting tidbits of information that were given in the ancient wisdom teachings that relates to the causes underlying the tremendous crisis going on on planet Earth. We, um, perhaps because we're too close to events that are unfolding ceaselessly in our world, in our newscasts, through the internet, we're very caught up in the outer events and we attempt to understand them from our rather limited perspective. So it's interesting to see that the Tibetan tells us that the number one cause underlying all of the chaos and crisis in our world is a welling up of magnetic force on the great star Sirius and its relationship to our entire solar system, but the Tibetan says, but particularly to planet Earth through the spiritual hierarchy. So if we ponder the importance of that statement, of that hypothesis, we can say that what's unfolding in our world is not simply related to the negligence of humanity and our inability to live um, green lives and to reduce our carbon footprint. It's really much more related to this need on our part to be better uh, able to act as magnets for that impouring magnet, magnetic welling up of force from Sirius. And what better means to do that than to add to our daily spiritual practice, the practice of triangles, which acts to create a bridge between hierarchy, between the heart, between the recipient of this magnetic force from Sirius and to distribute that energy through all of the kingdoms in nature. So we're part of that. We can play increasingly important parts in that planetary chain that's being created. And particularly perhaps during this time when we have such a close connection with the important energies of Sirius. So let's do what we can to stay connected during this next month 
and hopefully provide that the hierarchy with that need that they have to find recipients for this energy. So let's work together now with our meditation coming together in group fusion, standing at the center of the even Dharma cross of discipleship on the mental plane, linking as souls, as points of love and light with all people throughout the world world who are working in this triangles meditation group. Project a line of lighted energy towards the highest center of Shambhala and sound together the affirmation of will. In the center of the will of God, I stand. Naught shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love which underlies and infuses the network.
Now lift your consciousness to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and also at the heart of each triangle. Precipitation. Visualize the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangle's network. Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness and establishing right human relationships. Recenter the consciousness within the periphery of the great ashram and sound the mantram of unification. The souls of all are one and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love.
Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere. distribution, sounding the great invocation. As we repeat each stanza, let's visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity as a channel through which light, love, and divine purpose may flow into human consciousness. from the point of light within the mind of God. Let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth.
Thank you, everyone. And now we welcome Curtis. If you can share your screen. And unmute your microphone. Okay. Here. Welcome, okay. Curtis. All right, thank you. Scattered throughout the, oops, start my video, okay. Are we all good now? Okay. Mm -hmm. Scattered through the eastern woodlands of the United States and Canada are literally tens of thousands of stone monuments, evidence of a built environment. These monuments oops, occur in a variety of forms, including cairns, chambers, animal effigies, and complex shrines. Some of them are as much as 4,000 years old. Indigenous peoples throughout this region regard these monuments as prayers in stone. And for the past several decades, they have been appealing to both archeologists and government agencies to work to ensure their preservation. As an archeologist with a background in esotericism, I've long been interested in these enigmatic and controversial structures. And I responded to this appeal starting in 2009 by assembling an inventory of sites within this region from Georgia to Nova Scotia. When I first undertook this project, I viewed it as an outlet for discipleship service because I was using my archeological expertise to render assistance to groups who have suffered racial and religious persecution for five centuries in this part of the world. As you will see, it later evolved into something more. In the course of this work, which is ongoing, I've documented over 6,000 individual sites based upon the work of hundreds of informants as well as my own investigations. Because of the controversy surrounding these sites, I've used a strictly scientific methodology for analyzing the data. I have um, employed statistical analysis techniques as a way to test several competing hypotheses about them. I have presented strong quantitative evidence to support the indigenous people's claims that these are not the result of colonial farmers clearing their fields or building walls or simply passing time by creating stone follies or of natural forces such as glaciers and erosion or of pre-Columbian explorers visiting the coast of the region and setting up astronomical sight lines, but instead are in most cases exactly what the indigenous people represent them to be the sacred places of their ancestors. One of the strongest arguments in favor of this conclusion is the fact that the sites are not randomly distributed about the landscape, but most of them occur in discrete clusters, some of which spill across modern state, county, and municipal boundaries. This map shows the clusters located in southeastern New England. Some of these clusters are very large. This one with over 500 sites is configured in what appears to be a triangular formation. The southern edge of the cluster is oriented along the axis of summer solstice sunrise, winter solstice sunset. Both of these are times for traditional indigenous ceremonies. The northern edge of the cluster may have an orientation to the Pleiades, which star cluster is important to both esotericists and indigenous peoples. This is another cluster, which is very strongly oriented towards winter solstice sunrise, summer solstice sunset, and can actually be extended further in both directions, touching the eastern end of Long Island, New York, regarded as the right front flipper of what indigenous people call Turtle Island. 
Indigenous sources, both written and oral, claim that these structures were built for specific purposes, among which was the restoration of the balance of Earth energies. Some of the sites contain more than a thousand individual monuments grouped together into individual sites. It is not too difficult to, to imagine triangular relationships among the monuments at any one of these sites, as well as the relationships between sites. In some cases, the monuments seem to be laid out to replicate star patterns in the heavens, especially the Great Bear and Orion constellations. Both of these figure prominently in, in indigenous religious traditions, as does the former in the Tibetans' writings, which also mention the influence of the star Betelgeuse in the constellation Orion. I should like to emphasize that I would not have presumed to undertake this project were it not for the assistance of members of the traditional indigenous communities who still regard these as sacred sites, and some of whom still continue to practice rituals at them. One of my indigenous informants, who provided me with Algonquian names for most of the structure types, also provided this schematic of the cluster of sites in his area of Western Massachusetts and their relationship to key astronomical and directional forces. It should be noted that most indigenous peoples concentrate upon the symbolism of the number four in their beliefs, which as we know as esotericists is more closely related to the lower vehicles or to the rays of attribute. The Tibetan frequently indicates that we should work to transfer our consciousness to the number three, representing the higher vehicles or the rays of aspect. However, as our webinar speaker last week suggested, a four-sided figure such as a square may be divided into triangles by its diagonals, and that is what this figure represents. Note the relationship of the directions to the Pleiades, the North Star, and the August 13th Perseid meteor shower, and various local geographical landscape features. While my study was limited to the region of the eastern seaboard, I am well aware of the worldwide distribution of sacred stone structures on every inhabited continent and their associations with both the earth below and the heavens above. If it is not too radical a concept, I would like to associate the emergence of these special places in the new age with the pl term planetary psychometry. This term appears six times in the Tibetan's books in tabulations of the higher senses as a higher turn of the spiral of the sense of touch. Unfortunately, the Tibetan nowhere defines this term, but if we break it down into its parts, psychometry appears to mean the measurement of spirit, and planetary psychometry would then apply this sense to the study of those locations on the earth which have a spiritual or sacred character and their energy relationships to one another. As I have studied these sites over the years, I've developed my own sensitivity to them, and I now found it relatively easy to identify places where they are located and to recognize intuitively the presence of energies residual in them. One question which I frequently raise with other researchers in this field is whether these sites are inherently sacred or whether they have acquired their sacrality as a result of people's repeated attention to them. I believe that the answer is both. Certain locations do seem to be more favored, as one indigenous informant told me, quote, our people like to build in these places where water flows in two directions, unquote. As I noted earlier, my exoteric purpose in undertaking this study was to provide conclusive evidence that these sites are indigenous sacred places which are worthy of protection from development. There have been some successes in this educative process. For example, one Massachusetts town quoted half a million dollars in town funds to purchase a site and protect it from development on the argument that the town already had a dozen churches, three synagogues, and a mosque, so why not allow a sacred place for indigenous people? 
This indicates a broadening public perception of the multidimensional role of religions. Other towns have taken proactive roles in protecting sites of this sort through programs of public education. As their best protection from development will the awareness on the part of the general public of their importance to indigenous peoples. My esoteric purpose, as it developed over the course of the project, is somewhat different. While I am happy to support the indigenous people's desire to retain these sites and to resume spiritual practices at them, my scope has become broader. First of all, I accept on principle, based on both my quantitative measures and my intuitive sense, that these locations are sacred places, although some of them are clearly imbued with more energy than others. However, these energies are not necessarily restricted to only those groups whose ancestors constructed them or who claimed them. They are part of the heritage of all of humanity. While most of the places mentioned in the Tibetans' writings as energy portals are cities, aggregations of large numbers of people, such as the five centers to which we direct energy in the full moon meditation, he also indicates that there may be many other locations which over the years have served in a similar capacity, if perhaps less prominently. However, most of the sites in my inventory have remained concealed and largely unvisited for many years, and the energy residual in them has consequently become dormant. I am convinced that their original function of earth balancing can be reawakened, especially if they are approached with respect and humility, and if the relationships among them can be drawn out. This reawakening, if done with great care and with appropriate protection surrounding those who undertake this kind of work, can assist in the long-term process of healing the earth by establishing triangular relationships at the individual site, site cluster, and continental and worldwide level. I encourage any of you who live in the vicinity of such sites to consider visiting them to sound the great invocation there, perhaps with your triangles partners stationed at different sites and maintaining the triangle of earth energy sites, as well as that of your own consciousness among your triangle as you do so. Be sure to obtain permission in advance from those groups who have the responsibility of guarding the sites, whether on the human or the David chain or both, and also be sure to surround all of the participants with light before you begin. This could be of great service to the plan as it may contribute to the work of making the earth a sacred planet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Such, so many interesting thoughts that you've shared with us. And I'm sure the participants will have many comments or questions which we can get to. I just had a couple questions. Um, I don't know much about archaeological testing of the age of certain constructions. Have, is there any, uh, are there any advances in being able to determine the relative age of some of these structures? Well, um, about 30 of the structures in the inventory are associated with organic charcoal, which can be dated using the radiocarbon method. And that is where I can tell you that some of them are as old as about 4,000 or 4,200 years. Uh, there may be some that are older, I don't know. There are some suggestions of additional new methods of dating using um, uh, lichen dating and um, uh, ground penetrating radar and things of that sort that show some promise, but they have not yet been thoroughly tested. Um, I'm convinced that a lot of them are more recent than that. That is that as the result of the colonization of this region, 
uh, which caused a great upheaval among the indigenous peoples, both in terms of their survival, because many of them died of pandemic diseases, um, and also the suppression of their culture, one of their responses was to build more structures and in order to keep the balance going. And so I have some evidence that suggests that some of these are from within, within the last 300, 400 years. But, but some of them are older. But they wouldn't be anything going back as far as like Atlantean times because that Not was, that I've seen. Because these, this continent was submerged uh, during that time, it would seem. Well, we're, we're talking about human occupation in this part of North America going yeah. back maybe 14,000 years. Okay. Yeah. That's the evidence that we have. And so could you describe again, what would you say is the, the indigenous people's purpose in making these structures? Was it to ground spiritual energies, to create a sacred space? What was the intention? Well, there are several different types of structures and they have different intentions. So some of them are built in order to rebalance when there has been a breach of uh, the natural order. So for example, if a person had died unexpectedly of non-natural causes, it's not that they would build such a structure at their grave, most of these are not burial sites, but rather they would build a structure in, in order to rebalance the energy of that. Um, that's called the Wawanaquasic in the um, Algonquian language. Uh, but many of them, the majority I would say, have been built in order to focus and balance the earth energies that are present at the site. Mm -hmm. And what I've been given to understand from indigenous sources is that once people started to build in a location, it would act as a kind of a strange attractor for other people to come and do the same sort of thing. And we have accounts from the 17th and 18th century, and later too, of um, indigenous people who were perhaps guides for Europeans, uh, diverting off the path that they were on to go to one of these places and put a stone on top of it. And when asked to explain why they did this, uh, they gave evasive answers because by this time they'd pretty well figured out that there was little tolerance for their beliefs among the Europeans. Mm -hmm. So they'd say, oh, my father told me to do this, or uh, it's our custom, or I don't know. And I think those are evasions. Yeah. yeah. I also know that in France, for example, during the time when masonry was flourishing there, um, that they built their cathedrals in the formation of the constellation of Virgo, which is really interesting seeing as that was the opposite sign to the Piscean energies that were pouring in. Do you have any thoughts about how these, how the new age might unfold in terms of grounding the spiritual energy? Will, do you think that we'll continue to build these type of structures, shrines, or will there be something different as we move forward? Well, I, I think it's, it is the case that indigenous people are continuing to build these structures. They I've are. seen some mm -hmm. evidence of that. Mm -hmm. um, there are also copycats. Yeah. You know, there are people who go out in the woods and, and, and 
do copycat sort of things, not really understanding what they're about. Um, but my thinking is that there are plenty of structures out there anyway, and what needs to happen is to, for them to be reawakened yeah, that's and related to one another. And that's why I'm suggesting that a triangle's meditation in association with three such structures might be a productive avenue to take. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, let's just now go into the chat box. Can you see the chat box? And would you like to read? Oh boy, 34 huh? things in here. Oh boy. Let's yeah, see. Well, a lot of them are just greetings in the beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So channel for anchor spiritual cosmic energies. Sure. The mineral structure. What I can say about the minerals is that it is not infrequently the case that these structures will have a single white quartz rock placed at the top of them. And that may signify for people who understand that. And I also should say that if someone would like to share a comment with Curtis and the group, they can go to um, the, I believe it's reactions button and we, you can raise your hand and we'll call on you. I don't know how far back this goes. Yeah. Someone is asking about Newgrange and um, uh, that, that one is apparently a burial, but it also focuses the, um, the solstice uh, light of the sun. And that we have those here too. Have you actually gone out and participated in ceremonies at these structures with groups or just by yourself? Yes. Yeah. Yes, but I'm, I don't want to go into that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Why heal the earth? Okay. Well, well, who made it sick? Uh, certainly that's part of the issues that have been going on for quite some time in humanity's misuse of energies. And we would need to heal our relationship. Uh, lichen dating is still in, in, in its infancy, but it's, it's based upon different species of lichen, lichen, different environments, and as the environment changes, and we can track that, we can get some ideas. Uh, is it better than charcoal? Possibly, possibly not, but the problem is you can't use charcoal to date stone. Um, Jan DB, please contact me separately so we can talk about uh, your question about PowerPoints in the Northeast, um, because I can, I can give you information about that. Uh, I can put up in the chat um, an email address for people to get in contact with me. Sure. And that's a lower C. Okay. All right. Yeah, and I have been to a number of these kinds of places in other parts of the world. That was an interesting structure you shared that was in Ireland. Was quite oh, Newgrange, yeah. Yeah, that's very well known. Yeah, date testing dates of the stones themselves, not when they were put in the ground. No, actually, there's a newer method called um, optically stimulated luminescence, 
which measures the time when they were last exposed to sunlight. And that has a good deal of promise. That's, that's been used for quite a bit of, uh, not necessarily of this sort of work, uh, but at other sites um, to get the information. So that's another good possibility. It seems that we're led to believe in various spiritual teachings that the continent of Atlantis will eventually be discovered. Do you have any thoughts on that? Mm, that's outside my wheelhouse. I'm not going to go there. Okay. Yeah. Let's see what else we got. Oh, yes, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mayan temples in Yucatan. Yeah, I've been to Mayan temples in, in Belize and, and um, Monte Alban and Oaxaca. You know, there's a lot of these sites around. The Living Stones, yes. I would agree with Clint's suggestion that any sacred structure could benefit from sounding the great invocation. Yep. Uh, there have been studies in Mexico, for sure. And as for the Woodland Devas, um, around here, the name that is given to them is Pukwudgie. And they are... Um, mischievous, shall we say. One has to uh, approach them with some care and respect. Otherwise, they'll, they can lead you astray or trip you up. I don't understand. Why is Hedgestone so famous? Do you mean Stonehenge? Probably, yeah. Probably, yes. Uh, well, um, in part because of its inherent properties and its alignments, in part because it has become um, kind of an icon for um, travelers to that part of England. Joshua has his hand raised, so let's uh, unmute your microphone, Joshua. Hi, thanks for the presentation, Curtis. I, I don't know uh, if this is something you're aware of, but I figured I'd ask. I had seen on, I think, the History Channel a while ago, they were talking about these pyramids in Europe. They thought they were just uh, hills or mountains, but later discovered that they were sort of built to be effectively pyramids. Uh, I wonder if you knew anything about that. I'm afraid that a lot of what is in the History Channel is not history. You know, I, I, I am skeptical about uh, that I'm aware of that if you're talking about sites in, in the former Yugoslavia, uh, I'm aware of, of some of these, but I have not um, been convinced that they are what some people would like to claim. On the other hand, uh, I'll refer you to a location in eastern Turkey called Gobekli Tepe, which is the real deal. And there's a lot of stuff about that as well. Are those pyramids? No, no, no. They are shrines. I, I showed a picture of, of that mm. in the presentation. Um, okay. All right. Thanks, Joshua. If we can scroll through any more of this. Okay. The, 
yeah, the, the talks are recorded so people can find that, I suppose. Yeah, most of them are uploaded to our website and to YouTube and to our mm -hmm. webinar podcast, Intersight. Did I just imply Stonehenge equals economics? No, it, it has been used as for economic purposes, but that's not what it was for. Um, sounds in the stone, interesting, okay. Uh, I'm not aware of those, but I am aware that you're going to find that kind of thing around the world. Uh, and that we have some stones around here which are called rocking stones, where if you move the stones, and these, some of these are pretty big stones, they will create sounds that can be heard for a great distance. I think I've gotten to the bottom of the stack. Okay. Well, it's in case any more hands raised, no. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure I speak for everyone. Thanking you so much for sharing your life's work or part of your life's work with us. And so if you could just show that last slide and we'll turn off our um, okay. videos. Share a screen. Here we go. All right. So let's just take a moment now to link up with the Triangles Network, visualizing the planet, surrounded by a network of triangles, radiating light. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Curtis.